0: welcome to the checkout. We are going to talk prices again because prices are still in everybody's mind. Prices are high and they are staying high and particularly we're talking about food. So food prices are still up close to 13% uh, on average since last year. You know, pandemic, ongoing issues with supply chain, uh, war, the Russian invasion of Ukraine climate change related issues um, and then livestock catastrophes in particular avian flu. Um, many food companies took advantage of these crises to raise prices uh, even further and reap huge profits. So they, they took an additional markup on top of the cost increase they got from their suppliers. Um, you know, the last couple of years have been the most profitable uh, for big corporations since 1950. Uh, that includes a lot of food retailers, manufacturers, supply chain, commodity companies, as well as freight, rail, uh, gas companies. You know, to the two biggest in the food industry, Walmart and Kroger, uh, they account for almost 40% of all grocery sales, have leveraged higher prices and profits to pay out billions in shareholder dividends and, and buybacks. And you've seen the same thing with uh, Nestle and PepsiCo, Coca-Cola, Kellogg's. Mondelez, Kraft Heinz, all the big food companies um, have leveraged cost increases to pass through higher prices to consumers and reap additional margins. Uh, For the most part, they've seen declines in units, although uh, Mondelez, which makes Oreos, seems to be immune to that. Um, Big big shout out to Eric Gardner uh, from More Perfect Union for pointing out Mondelez's uh, resilience to uh, demand elasticity. I just think it's because people can't eat enough Oreos. Anyway, um, one study showed that over half of all food price increases are the result of uh, profiteering by big grocery, meat, beverage, snack, and food companies. Um, So it's like 54%. um, That was Economic Policy Institute. Um, Meaning 46% of price increases are still from real real world uh, events. Not to say that those aren't. Um, But, you know, for this matter, let's talk about eggs because egg prices are out of control. I've written a little bit about eggs. I've done a couple podcasts about eggs. Uh, egg prices are still up over 10% compared to last year. I mean with I'm sorry, the previous month, so that's uh November to December. Um they're up nearly 60% over the past year. Um they've essentially doubled um in price. Um, the cheapest eggs now are still over four bucks. Um and that's up you know from a dollar seventy nine just over uh, a year ago. So the costs are even higher in California where they're like seven bucks. Uh, that's partly due to you know, just higher food prices in general in California, but also their uh, mandated cage-free egg law uh, and cage-free eggs have a lower production density and an innately higher uh, market price because of that. Um, and you know, once again, avian flu, it's uh, you know highly volatile, easily spread. Um, thankfully hasn't spread to people yet. It's sick in tens of millions of hens uh farmers have culled something like 50 million birds, um, which has really depleted the egg supply. Um, and in particular at a time when folks are eating less meat because meat prices, due to you know, cost inflation, profiteering from you know the big four or five meat companies that control, you know, eighty percent of the meat market, people are eating, you know, less meat. Meat volumes are down and they were hoping that they could eat more eggs. Well now even egg prices are 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 very high. Um, you know, in these um, coals are mostly happening at egg factory farms um and so this is part of you know my idea is that actually factory farms drive up food prices not only because of their externalities um you know their pollution um you know waste materials you know the smell you know labor conditions things that aren't actually included in the shelf price under the best of circumstances but now um when you have a ten thousand or a hundred thousand hens in one flock and one hen gets avian flu they gotta cull the whole flock so just imagine that when i say cull i mean slaughter they either suffocate them they heat them to death they bury them alive Uh, it's it's really like nightmarish it's it's actually insane and inhumane Um, but they have to prevent the spread of you know highly transmissible uh, avian flu Um, so if you want to learn more about um, the impact of big farms on disease on pandemics and why you know, our, our country's food system, which is based in factory farming, you know the vast majority of our animal-based cal- cal- calories, eggs, uh, beef, pork, chicken, they come from factory farms. You should read uh, Big Farms Make Big Flu by Rob Wallace, who's an epidemiologist. Now, they'll give you a better sense of it. He also wrote a, uh, a, a follow-up book called Dead Epidemiologists, which is about COVID-19. But Big Farms Make Big Flu, understanding how Factory farms, which are supposed to create cheap, abundant, affordable protein, you know, in times of crisis like this, are actually driving up the price of food because um, they're highly centralized, highly fragile, and when they collapse, uh, there's not a decentralized network of supply to fall back on. Uh, let alone you know, other analogs, because people are eating less you know, plant-based proteins now as well. Um, so, you know, what's going on? You know, are these egg prices going to come down? You know. It, their egg farms are recovering they you know it takes 18 weeks to grow out a hen to uh the age where it could lay eggs so um they are coming back um uh, but there's a lot still a lot less hens um so it's going to be a while um you know egg prices are starting to come down midwest egg prices have you know come down a little bit um in recent weeks but for the most part you know bird flu is still here to stay there's still going to be a uh, transmission of bird flu uh feed costs are still high you know we've talked a lot about you know the abcd the um you know the grain giants the commodity giants on this show you know have driven up food prices above and beyond the speculation from the ukraine war you know with their own profit um but the other thing is there's actually some price gouging and big shout out to farm action which um called out um, CalMain, which is the country's largest egg producer. They saw a 600% jump in profits um, in the last quarter. Um, so th- they control less than 20% of the egg supply, but that's still significant, and in some areas, even more significant. Um, and Farm Action says that CalMaine is engaged in apparent price gouging, price coordination, and other unfair or deceptive acts or practices. Um, and so you have to keep in mind what they're doing you know it's kind of borderline legal illegal there's no law outlawing price gouging although the FTC does have the power to prevent quote unfair or deceptive acts or practices um you know FTC has actually seemed to be awaking from a you know decades-long slumber in terms of looking at prices and protecting consumers from you know these types of practices um and they've you know historically been you know kind of res- reticent um hesitant to employ the full extent of their authority um, but you know, in this case, it's like, how could you not? And why is it taking so long? Um, so these egg inventori- inventories are still down. Um, and uh, while they are recovering slowly, egg prices are gonna remain high. Um, so it's important though, to know that like n- very few of us actually buy eggs directly from a farm. There's a whole supply chain involved um, in terms of how eggs get from the farm gate um, to um, you know, your grocery store shelf, um, and to your, to your fridge. So there's different layers in the supply chain, pun intended. Um, and each of these layers has a different cost associated with it. Um, and so the first one to think about is the retailer margin in and of itself, like retailers, a business, um, you know, how much they will make from the sale. Um, you know, before that is the wholesaler markup. Um, and then before that is the brand and then the farm. Um, so wholesalers are interesting they're mostly invisible to you know, the customer, unless you see their trucks out on the, on the road, you know, United natural foods. Hey, distributor, CNS, McLean, um, et cetera. Um, they're third parties for profits. Um, you know, there's four wholesalers that service the vast majority of grocery stores, although there's hundreds of smaller independent wholesalers and even a few cooperative wholesalers as well. Um, so wholesale is still very consolidated, uh, gives wholesalers a lot of power. Wholesale markups is interesting in that there's a lot of uh, kind of shady business without how, with how wholesalers sometimes do markups, particularly the bigger wholesalers. Um, you know typically it's 10 to fifteen percent above uh, the supplier cost to get something from the supplier to the uh, retailer. You know may or may not include the the trucking to and from. Um, you know, there's a lot of gray area here. Um, wholesalers, since most of them are for profit and some of them are, you know, publicly traded, they require marketing programs. They also have these, um, business practices that are really difficult for suppliers to deal with called deductions and billbacks where, uh, they will deduct, um, money from paid invoices back to the suppliers based on shrink, um, based on, you know, whether or not they had to handle the product multiple times uh damage loss um you know various marketing programs or or how the invoices were billed out whether it's a a chargeback or off invoice on a sale promotion uh is a different formulator for calculating formulate formula for calculating how uh you know the price of that invoice is calculated um so wholesale is kind of complex um but it it also works in the favor of these wholesalers because they are the quintessential middleman uh, middle person, if you will, um, in the food industry, you know, and some, some retailers are, you know, self-distribute, they have their own internal warehouses, which have similar practices. Um, although it's, you know, even less, uh, the, 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 you know, if it's an internal warehouse, it's, you know, it's even less transparent, because you're still dealing with the retailer at two levels now. Um, and so wholesale is is a big part of this, and they they take a cut of of the money as well. Uh, the packing operation. So, you know, all eggs still got to get packed. Some of them get packed on farm. You know, by the farm farmer, his you know, family, hired labor, hired workers. Hopefully, they're getting paid a living wage. Probably unlikely. Hopefully, they're at least getting paid minimum wage. Um, you know, and the the larger the farm, you know, there's more labor. But the smaller the farm, um, the more expensive the labor per egg. Um, they're you know not not as efficient, particularly when you know cage free eggs um or free-range pastured eggs where folks have to go around and gather them um over or, or a greater area uh so they they um you know have to take a percent of this as well but just the packing alone um feed prices are a huge part of of egg prices and we, we talked about how feed speculation you know Russian invasion in Ukraine profiteering by grain and commodity Giants all that adds up because feed prices are between 50 and 70% of the price of the egg at farm gate. So before the egg uh, leaves the farm, it's the feed, it's more, more than labor. So even if you decide to give everybody a living wage, um, it would be a negligible amount of, of a price increase relative to the, um, the feed itself. Um, and, um, labor costs, you know, obviously are, are a big part of, you know making sure the you know eggs are gathered but they're smaller relative to you know to feed um and once again i'm going to plug that you know this this just means that you know, all farm workers should be making a living wage you know if, if you're paying you know if, if 54 cents of, of every dollar of price increase you've paid has gone to corporate profits then you could you could be paying a couple extra cents at some point for farm workers to make a living wage and it make a huge difference in their, their lives right um you know Conventional feed, you know, uh, the problem with feed when it's cheap is that most of those costs are externalized, you know, whether that is the fact that a lot of feed is sprayed with glyphosate, uh, which is, you know, potentially cancer causing, or even worse, paraquat, dicamba, which are linked to cancer, agrochemicals, they end up in waterways and soils, they obviously contaminate the clothes, you know, and lungs of farm workers, they contribute to Parkinson's and other chronic diseases. Um, so, you know, these costs don't end up in the egg, regardless whether it's cost inflation or not. These are externalized. They're born by Mother Nature and they're born by communities and, um, and, and you know, future generations. You know, it's like two out of every three dollars uh, uh, in the food system are actually externalized costs. And that was a Rockefeller study uh, from last year. Um, so, you know, keep in mind also that conventional feed, you know you know, crop insurance and subsidies stabilize the supply of conventional crops which is sort of you know it's an indirect way of lowering the price of of these crops and then let's get back to the retailer you know the the biggest variable here in the price of eggs is is the retailer Uh, the retailer gross margins you know retailer gross margins vary between 20 and 40 percent and for eggs you know it's it's, it could be between zero up to 30 or 35 percent and typically when you see lower priced items you know, the retailers are subsidizing that price by keeping prices high on other items because everything eventually has to blend out. All you know, retailer margins are just a big weighted average of the volume of everything they sell times the gross margins of each item. So, you know, there's a lot of lower priced items um, that tend to, um, you know, be lower cost. And then there's higher price items, which are obviously higher cost from the supplier. But sometimes there's higher cost items where the retailer keeps the, the retail price low to stay competitive. Um and so you know th- this is the the margin blend. Um, you know eggs tend to be a category where retailers want to be very competitive. Um, and you know everybody sells eggs. Um, most eggs are are undifferentiated. Although eggs are one category where there's significant category segmentation. There's you know cage free eggs. There's organic eggs. There's conventional eggs. Um, there's the generic eggs in the styrofoam carton which come from battery hens in cages. Um. And this kind of segmentation, you know, on the one hand, I, I consider a, it's, it's really a retailer version of food apartheid in that it segments out how, how people buy. And usually retailers are very careful about putting higher priced, higher premium items in more, um, you know, upscale neighborhoods, etc. cetera. Um, but on the other hand, the segmentation also determines, you know, the pricing strategy and, you know, how they choose to, you know, set prices on these items and what the gross margins are. In effect, retail price is totally arbitrary. If the retailer is wanted, they could take loss leader pricing on, uh, on expensive, you know, super premium, uh, higher quality items and raise the price on the sort of cheap conventional factory farm stuff, just to make a point. But they don't. Um, instead, they keep the, you know, the factory farm stuff cheap with lower markups and put higher markups on the good stuff like organic and raised stuff. It's a very general practice. Almost every retailer does this. Nobody is exempt. Um, and like I said, they could do likewise. They could do the opposite. Um, and right now, what that means is that eggs are going to stay expensive because the retailers are going to keep, you know, making their margin on it. And retailers don't have to do that. They're, you know, eggs in general are, I would say, one to three percent of grocery store sales. So l- let's say, you know, for instance, if if a retailer wanted to keep eggs cheap. And decided to lower the prices on all their eggs, even below cost, take a loss on eggs, it would impact at most, you know, it would impact maybe 1% of their sales and and therefore, you know, maybe 1% of their gross margin. It would obviously hurt the gross margin and the sales of the dairy department, you know, and they'd have to make sure that those folks didn't lose their jobs. Um, But retailers, if they wanted to, could take a gamble and say, you know what, we're not gonna sell eggs for more than five bucks. And we're going to take a loss on eggs until the price comes down. Um, Nobody's really doing that. Everybody's just passing along the cost. Some retailers like Costco, Aldi, Whole Foods, um, Weiss Markets, they've talked about freezing prices or asking suppliers to lower prices, which is unlikely now because the supplier prices, the supplier costs aren't coming down yet either. That's called the producer pricing index. Uh, You know, hopefully that kind of pressure will prevent suppliers from passing through above and beyond price increases. But in this case, with eggs, with eggs being a relatively small percent of overall sales in a grocery store, it'd be interesting to see if a retailer would go out on a limb and say, well, you know what? I'm going to lower the prices on eggs and I'll just take the loss and I'll eat it until prices come down. But you know what would happen? And this is what we call demand elasticity. Customers would flock to those stores. No pun in- Actually, fuck it. Pun intended. <laughs> pun intended. They would flock to those stores and buy more eggs. Now would be demand elasticity because people are buying less eggs because the prices are too high. You know, retailers could put EDLPs on the eggs. They could, you know, there's not a lot of trade spend in eggs in terms of promotions or marketing dollars, but they could work with the suppliers to plug that all in. Um, you know, they could just give more shelf space to their own private label, which tends to have lower costs um and obviously they could continue to refuse cost increases or start refusing cost increases where possible so you know there are things that retailers can do because at the end of the day that's the interface when we talk about the cpi the consumer price index when we talk about inflation we're actually talking about grocery prices prices at the store that you buy and there's very few grocers that have not taken advantage of the inflationary uh, producer prices over the last couple of years uh, to, to not pass through price increases. Everybody's been doing it. And you know, the, over the last five years, you know, three of the last five years are among the most profitable years in the grocery industry in decades. And that has since come down. And I think in the next couple of years, you're gonna see a big reversal because of these price increases, these cost increases, and now consumers uh, trading down or buying less stuff. You know, unit transactions, unit volumes at grocery retailers are, are mostly down actually negative so grocery in a sense is in in a recession um whereas you know sales are still up that's that's only because of the the inflated prices um and so when you when you see like sales volumes uh up four or five points that means the unit transactions are probably down four or five points because of just the difference in what the uh inflation rate is uh for those categories um, you know, and this is, this is something that's going to continue to hurt um, f- folks who are food insecure, like SNAP recipients, especially since the emergency SNAP uh, COVID allotments are, are ending. Um, and that is going to really decrease the SNAP uh, payments for 40 million Americans. Um, I, I do feel that that is a passive aggressive way of forcing folks to work a second job uh, or, you know, if they haven't been working um or working in a job they hate to force them back into a job they hate um you know similar to the pressure on interest rates in terms of mortgages and credit card debt um you know car payments etc there's a lot of ways that the economy is uh punishing you know working people um and likewise snap because a lot of folks who are on snap work for a living (laughs) um you know despite the myths about you know food stamps Um, That's 40 million people, and SNAP in and of itself is 10 to 15 percent of the overall grocery industry volume. It's not insignificant. Um, So, these are some things to consider um, and just understand. Uh, Egg prices may be slowly coming down. The avian flu is not going away. Egg, you know, hens, laying hens are starting to recover. In general, food prices are not coming down for a while. Let me explain the rate of price increase is slowing so you'll probably see again this month the cpi and ppi numbers will be lower than they were over the last couple months but doesn't mean prices are coming down that means the rate of price increase is slowing right um and the other problem is that even if the prices at the producer level start coming down whether or not manufacturers and retailers pass through Price decreases to consumers is a big question because, A, um, they'll lose sales unless consumers actually buy more units, buy more transactions, um, and B, they won't be making as high a gross margin because they've been you know skimming additional margin on top. Usually what happens in deflationary periods when prices come down, uh, you don't see the, the shelf tags. Uh, decrease at the same rate as the producer prices because everybody decides in the supply chain with manufacturers and retailers to strategically pass through the discounts usually in the form of more frequent and deeper promotions or different pack sizes you know once deflation hits you know in 18 months hopefully um i say hopefully you know you'll start seeing more value packs you'll start seeing more items on sale and that's what happened in like 2017 and 18 where there was a deflationary period um but it's rare that you see prices pass through you, you know you may see some price decreases on store brand private label because the retailers control those supply chains um but I, I you'd be hard pressed to see a big price decrease in Oreos um or, or Cheerios or Campbell's soup uh if prices start going down and they're not so I just want to emphasize the rate of price increase is slowing and manufacturers are still sending price increases down like Pepsi just re- reported earnings their price increases crushed crushed it they had huge sales great earnings great profits their shareholders were happy once again justifying their monopoly you know or their dualopoly in soft drinks and their you know semi-monopoly and and snacks um you know toward you know tortilla chips and salty snacks shareholders love this type of market domination because they can pass through prices with impunity um and because they control so much of the category and consumers love their brands, who doesn't love Cheetos, Doritos, Fritos, (laughs) Tostitos, (laughs) Lay's, Ruffles, uh, Quaker Oats, Gatorade, et cetera, because they, you know, they, 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 um, you know, they really dominate these consumer categories. Um, You know, it's hard to compete with them, particularly for small and emerging brands like types of folks that I work with, Um, you know, a lot more of the diverse, um, you know, multi-ethnic, you know, women and family owned companies that are trying to survive and stay on shelf with all the same type of inflationary pressures, but don't have that market dominance. Don't have that shelf space dominance. Don't have those billions of dollars of trade spend to market the hell out of their products. And then even if there is a cost increase, um, you know, elbow out, you know, the, the competition. So Pepsi is going to continue to do well. And it it'll be interesting to see if, and when prices come down that you see their stuff uh, become cheaper um and likewise uh, whether or not retailers are willing to pass through these cost decreases because once again it could hurt their unit transactions uh even further than what they're doing now although i'm going to go back to what i said on eggs if there's a retailer out there that wants to get customers back in their store they should take a loss leader on eggs for the next 60 90 120 days sell eggs at a loss amortize that loss throughout the rest of the store you know don't punish your dairy buyers Um, and see if you could actually get more people back in the stores and sell more product again. Anyway, thanks for listening. This is The Checkout. Um, Everybody be safe out there.